I invite you to take a Bible and join me in turning to the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. If you're using one of the pew Bibles provided there, you'll find that, I believe it's page 1062, is that correct? Let me check. 1032, 1032. While you are finding that, whether it's in your copy of the scriptures or one of the pew Bibles, I will dismiss the children, ages four through the fourth grade, to children's church. If you have children those ages, four through the fourth grade, we have workers prepared to take them and teach them during this time. Charles Haddon Spurgeon is a name known to probably many of you. I don't know if all of you. He's widely considered the greatest preacher of the 19th century. Some would say the greatest English preacher of all time. Beginning with a congregation of a little over 200 when he was called at the age of 19 in 1853, within a few years he was preaching to several thousand every Lord's Day. During the 38 years as pastor of first the New Park Street Chapel and later the Metropolitan Tabernacle, same church, same congregation, different buildings, he began many ministries. Among them were several orphanages, a pastor's college, and each Sunday is reported that they would send out over a thousand members into the neediest parts of London to minister the word of God and other, in other ways to the neediest of that city. One Sunday, while they were in London, five young college students wanted to hear Spurgeon preach, so they went to the church. While waiting for the doors to open, the students were greeted by a man who asked them a strange question. Gentlemen, let me show you around. Would you, would you like to see the heating plant of this church? They weren't particularly interested, especially since it was a July day and already pretty hot. But they didn't want to offend the man, so they consented. They were taken down a stairway, a door was opened, and their guide whispered, this is our heating plant. They were surprised as they saw 700 people bowed in prayer, seeking blessing on the service that was about to begin in the auditorium. Softly closing the door, the gentleman then introduced himself. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon understood that as gifted a preacher as he was, the real power, the heat heating plant for the ministry of that church was in the prayers of the people. The people gathered to beseech the Lord on behalf of not only the pastor, but, but all of the ministries that would take place. I wonder, do we look at prayer the same way? Do we think the same thing about our prayers, both individually and corporately, that, that they are the heating plant, that they are the source under God, by God's grace, of the power that the Lord desires to unleash not only in here, but also through us into the world. Do our prayer lives reflect our understanding that power for living the kind of life we are called to live as Christian lies in our prayers, in our prayer lives?
again and again and again and again in scripture, we are invited, encouraged, challenged, bidden to pray, to come before our God and Father. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all points as we are. He knows what we go through. Therefore, let us come confidently, boldly to the throne of grace. How often, how persistently do we do that? I want us to look at Matthew 7, 7 through 11. We, we began this year, I began this year, pointing us to 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says that if we're believers, we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to make progress in our faith. We are to be adding to our faith other character qualities. And, and we looked a couple of weeks ago, because we didn't meet last Sunday, at the place of Scripture, especially Scripture memory in our ability to make progress in the faith. This morning, I want us to look primarily, well, I want us to look exclusively at prayer. This is not intended to put a guilt trip on you because I am as guilty, if not more so as anyone, of, of having a less than stellar prayer life. But I hope through what we see here in these verses and others, we'll be encouraged. We'll be, we'll be able, we will not be able to not pray fervently, faithfully when we leave this morning. Let's look at Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, that is evil in comparison to a perfect God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So let's ask the Lord to give us understanding and willing hearts and lives to respond in obedience. Heavenly Father, Lord, what we need primarily is probably not more information. Lord, it's hearts that burn with a passion to know you, to love you, to be obedient to you, to experience all of the fullness that you have for us and not just that we might be blessed but so that we might be a blessing to others. So Father, we pray that as we are reminded this morning of your promises, as we are challenged, Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts, in our lives. Work that will bear fruit, fruit that remains. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. First thing that I want us to see here is the promise of prayer. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. Because of the one who asks, the one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks will be open. He's talking about asking the Father. He's talking about praying. Now, we need to balance a couple of truths. The first is this. God delights to give good things to his children. Our God is a father who delights to give good things to his children. We're going to come back to that. God desires to bless us. I mean, you cannot read the scriptures, in particular the New Testament, without coming away with, with the understanding that God wants to answer our prayers more than we want to pray them. God delights in doing that for his children. However, this is not a blank check that guarantees that we will receive anything we want. Because no wise, loving father gives his child everything he wants, he or she wants, right? If you're parents, you understand that. It is not wisdom, it is not love to give, to indulge every whim, every wish of your children. In fact, more often than not, it's wise and it's loving to say no, or let's, let's fulfill that desire in, in a better way. In James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, James writes this, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, yet you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You just want to be comfortable, fat, and lazy, and you want to be blessed? You want the wrong things. Jesus here, we need to understand the context for these promises. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 comprise what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most challenging and encouraging passages of all Scripture. And, and it's Jesus teaching those who followed him, his, his disciples. And he's talked about kingdom character. That's the beatitude. Blessed are poor in spirit, those who mourn, uh, those who are meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted. So that's the kingdom character. Then he talks about kingdom, the kingdom call. That is our call to be the salt and light. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. There is then kingdom conduct. Our righteousness is to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. It's supposed to be more than just an external allegiance to the jot and tittle of the law. Kingdom confidence, trusting in our heavenly father rather than in worldly wealth. Jesus says, why do you worry about food and clothing? Do you not have a father who provides for you? you? He provides for the birds of the air and the grass of the field, the lilies of the field, he will provide for you. Kingdom commitment, seeking the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And then kingdom critiquing, that is we are not to be judges of others. Judge not that you be not judged. So he has been, and keep in mind that 
this was one sermon that he preached at the same time. So now he says, what do you think about this? If you had heard that sermon or if you read that sermon, you realize that I can't do this. I can't live up to this. This is, this is impossible. So Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. You need, the, you need the Holy Spirit to help you. In fact, in another place, Jesus says that God delights, the Father delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God promises not to meet our greeds, but to meet our needs. And our greatest needs. Now, the Lord meets all kinds of needs. He meets our material needs. He meets our physical needs. But his greatest gifts to us are not material. They're not physical. And that's hard often to get our minds around. But our greatest needs and the greatest blessings are spiritual. They are eternal. That's why the Lord promises things like this. In Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We need God more than we need his gifts. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So the first thing we need to understand is the promises of prayer. God designs and delights to give good things to us through prayer. When we ask, when we seek, when we knock. But the second thing is the purpose of prayer, which I've already touched on. The purpose of prayer is for God to give us good things. Which of you, if, he, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts for, to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him. We might say the best things. John 14, verses 13, 14, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, asking in the name of Jesus doesn't just mean tacking on in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, which we often do. It means asking in accordance with Christ's purposes with his character that Jesus names represent represents him who he is what his character is what his will is for us so when Jesus says if you ask anything in my name he means in accordance with my will in accordance with my purpose for you and for others prayer is a primary means that God has chosen to give good things or good gifts to his children we are to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock. We are to pray in accordance with God's will. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, John writes this, this is the confidence that we have toward him, him meaning God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request 
that we have asked of him. Every prayer from every believer is heard and answered by God. If it's in accordance with his will, he will give those things. But not always when we ask for it. Or not always in the way we expect him to give it. One of the things we need to understand is that both no and wait are answers to prayer. The prayer is not always yes immediately. Tim Keller shares this story from when he was younger. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. He writes, I prayed for an entire year about a girl I was dating and wanted to marry, but she wanted out of the relationship. All year I prayed, Lord, don't let her break up with me. Of course, in hindsight, it was the wrong girl. I actually did what I could to help God with the prayer because one summer, near the end of the relationship, I got in a location that made it easier to see her. I was saying, Lord, I'm making this as easy as possible for you. I've asked you for this, and I've even taken the geographical distance away. But as I look back, God had other plans. God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. Sometimes God says no to something good in order to give us the best. One writer has expressed it like this. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the timing is, but if the request is right, the timing is right, and you're right, God says go. God's purpose is to give us good things in order that we may grow, in order that we may become more like Christ. Now, how do we do that? How can we know that we're praying in accordance with God's will? Where do we find God's will? His word. That's why scripture memory and prayer go hand in hand. That's why being in the word of God and prayer go hand in hand. This is why uh, a couple of years ago we made available to you a little book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. Um, I think I gave away my last copy because I couldn't find it in my library. But it's an excellent book to help you in your prayer life, to, to pray in accordance with God's will by praying the Bible. There's another book booklet that I want to recommend to you. It's called Big, Bold, Biblical Prayers for the Next Generation. It's put out by a ministry called Truth 78. Truth 78 used to be called Children Desiring God, so you may be familiar with the ministry under that heading. Now, it says Big Bold Biblical Prayers for the Next Generation. The idea, this, this is a ministry that was begun primarily to help parents and those who work with children to cast a vision for those of the next generation. That they would, as they grow up in the church and they leave the home, they would not also leave the church and leave the Lord. And David Michael, who is head of this ministry, uh, put this booklet together, and the challenge is this, to pray big, bold, biblical prayers for the next generation. 
Now, if you're a parent, I would think you would want to do that for your children. But not just parents, grandparents, or aunts and uncles. All of us have a stake in the future of the next generation. So if you will commit yourself, the goal is that 10,000 people would make the commitment to pray big, bold, biblical prayers to the next generation every week, at least once a week. If you'll commit yourself to doing this, you can have a copy of this. Now, we have 20 copies that are yours for the taking. They're going to be out on the table in foyer. Now, listen, this isn't for you to just pick up and leaf through and say, yeah, it's okay. You know. No, if, if you'll make the commitment, there, there are even samples of kinds of prayers that you can pray in here. This is yours for the taking. Now, some of you perhaps are like me in that you're running out of room for physical hard copies of books. You can download this on your computer, your tablet, your smartphone, uh, and I put in the bulletin on the announcements page the website where you can go and the tab that you can click so that you can download it directly if you would prefer to have a digital copy. If you want the hard copy, they're there until they're not. Um, but I, I want to add to this. David Michael's vision, the vision of True 78, is pray big, big bold, biblical prayers for the next generation. I hope you'll embrace that and do that. But I want to add to that. I would like to encourage you to pray big, bold, biblical prayers for Reynoldsburg Baptist Church, for our future, for our ministry, for what God has called us to be and to do. Now, there's one other way that you can pray uh, biblical prayers. You can pray God's will. We have a ministry that takes place while I'm preaching. It's called the Joshua Prayer Ministry. And what happens is every Sunday morning, I fill out a sheet giving the sermon intent, the scripture that I'm going to be using, and um, suggested prayer requests. But I also attach a copy of my sermon notes to that so that the person who's involved in praying for the service during that time can pray in accordance with what I am preaching, can pray not only my suggestions, but as they read the scripture and, and the Lord leads them, they can pray hopefully big, bold biblical prayers for our services and for our church. If you would like to be involved in this ministry, see Tony Cano. Tony, would you stand up? Tony kind of oversees this and works on the scheduling. We have a handful of folks who've been doing it for some time, but if you would like to be involved or know more about that, talk to Tony, and he would be happy to help you out there. The purpose of prayer is to receive good things from the Lord. He wants to give us good things, but, but he has designed that primarily, the primary way he gives us good things is as we ask and seek and knock in prayer. The third thing that I want to address here is what I call the practice of prayer. There are some things that we need to keep in mind 
as we pray. There are, I say, two requirements. Let me just say two encouragements. The first is persistence. Persistence. In the Greek, and I don't often bore you with the Greek, but in the Greek we find three imperatives here. Three, three present imperatives. Now, present tense in the Greek means continual, continuous action. It's continuing to happen. Imperative, you, you may know what imperative, it's a command. Do this. And so in the Greek, these are three continuous imperatives. In other words, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. We are to continually approach God's throne of grace to ask, to seek, to knock. Why? Because God's forgetful or because God has to be, has, has his arm twisted? No, because God is not just doing something for us. He's doing something in us as we pray, as we ask, as we seek, and as we knock. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. In the first several verses, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And then he gives him what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, Luke's version of it. Then after this, he gives them uh, a parable. And he said to them, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, ESV says, impudence. The, the, the word really means persistence. The, the importunate is, is another archaic word. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks will be open. And he goes on, essentially the same thing that we see in Matthew chapter 7. The point here is that we are to be persistent. Not because we have a God who is resistant, but because there is something that happens, not just for us, but in us when we are persistent in prayer. Some of us are discouraged because of our failures in prayer. We started out well. Maybe you started out this year good or last year. But after a while, you know, that new resolution to pray more fervently, to pray more often, to pray regularly, to pray for, you know, the church, pray for whatever it's kind of dwindled and you find yourself back where you were. The key is don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Get back on that horse, so to speak. The name Scott Hamilton may mean something to you. He's former national, world, and Olympic champion, ice skater. He's a believer. But I read something recently about how he once figured out how many times he fell 
during his career as a skater, both in practice and in competition. 41,600 times. But you know what? He kept getting back up. And he became national champion, world champion, Olympic champion by his persistence. We need persistence in prayer. And this persistence, I think, has a progression. Because there's a difference between asking and seeking. There's a little bit more oomph in it, right? A little bit more aggressiveness, a little bit more work to seek than to just ask. And then to knock. You ask and then you seek and then you knock. There's, there's more confidence in it boldness in it and we are to have confidence we are to be bold in our praying biblical prayers both for ourselves and for others because the Lord calls us to we have a high priest who intercedes for us sometimes we don't know how to pray as we ought and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us but we are to pray I want to read a somewhat lengthy passage from Don Carson, D.A. Carson, who is a professor, um, research professor now at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's written a, many years ago, he wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and I want to read from it. Jesus says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, the door will be opened. In the perfect threefold symmetry of these two verses, the imperatives are emphatic and in the present tense. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Persistence is required. Persistence in what? The answer is persistence in prayer. Not prayer envisaged as an occasional pious request for some isolated blessing, but in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, prayer that is a burning pursuit of God. This asking is an asking for the virtues Jesus has just expounded. This seeking is a seeking for God. This knocking is a knocking at heaven's throne room. It is a divinely empowered response to God's open invitation. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Western world is not characterized by prayer. By and large, to our unspeakable shame, even genuine Christians in the West are not characterized by prayer. Our environment loves hustle and bustle. Smooth organization and powerful institutions, human self-confidence and human achievement, new opinions and novel schemes. And the church of Jesus Christ has conformed so thoroughly to this environment that it is often difficult to see how it differs in these matters from contemporary paganism. There are, of course, exceptions, but I am referring to what is characteristic. Our low spiritual ebb is directly traceable to the flickering feebleness of our prayers. there's an unavoidable correlative to asking. It follows inescapably that if we must ask, we cannot receive the virtues characteristic of those in the kingdom unless they are given by God. Ask, seek, knock. Pray, big, bold, 
biblical. That's the key, prayers. For the next generation, for yourself, for your church. The following story comes from a book by Steve Deneff and David Drury entitled Soul Soul Shift. One time my dad wanted to congratulate me on something I had accomplished in the sixth grade. He took me to Kmart and made a wide sweeping gesture with his hand toward the whole store from the entrance. He said, to congratulate you, I'll buy you anything in this whole store tonight. My eyes widened as I thought of the possibilities. At the time, I didn't have a full grasp on how money worked or how much money dad had. So I sort of limited things in my mind. I didn't even look at the huge stereo systems, expensive bikes, or anything that cost more than $100. Instead, I chose a cassette tape case that was less than $50. I was content with just that case. It was more than I could afford myself, for sure. So I chose that one. It was nice. Only many years later did I find out from Dad that he had $1,000 cash in his pocket that night. What's more, he brought his checkbook just in case that wasn't enough. In my selection, I limited his blessing in my life. I then add, imagine how much God has in his pocket for you. Now let me just say, not for stuff. You don't ask God for all the spiritual power you could because you forget that you're his child. Like me and my earthly father, you don't realize all he could do for you, in you, and through you. Ask. Seek. Why? Because before the throne of God above, we have a strong and earnest plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever intercedes for us. We're going to sing that after I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many promises. Lord, we thank you most of all that You are favorably disposed to hear and answer our prayers, not because we have earned it, not because we've done something that you want to reward, because you are rich in mercy, because Christ has purchased us by his blood, and because you bid us in your grace to ask keep on asking to seek and keep on seeking to knock and keep on knocking father i pray that for those here this morning without christ as savior and lord of their lives that they would ask for that that they would ask jesus to forgive them to cleanse them to be their savior to put their that they would put their trust in him and him alone. Father, I pray that we would all ask big, bold, biblical prayers because you're a God who delights to hear and answer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.